You're listening to a sermon from the Access Church as we seek to gain godly stability through the book of James. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and it's good to be with you all today. Um, I'd like to welcome my parents in particular, uh, my mama and my daddy. Um, I love you guys. I'm really glad you are here. Um, they're the beautiful couple on the front row. Not to be confused with the other beautiful couple on the front row, the Wilsons. Great to, great to see y'all too. Um, but uh, anyway, thrilled uh, to have them. Would love for y'all to get to say hey to my parents. Um, his name's Bubba. Um, this is like his nickname, I guess. But everybody knows him as Bubba. Don't call him George. Uh, you get a bigger hug when you call him Bubba. Um, <clears throat> but uh, go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to James chapter 5. If you haven't already done so, please do that. Um, and Ryan, thanks for leading us in song, man. Um, you're just such a gift. And I don't know if we need to fundraise to keep you from going to Iceland. Maybe if we pay you enough, you'll stay here. Uh, but he and his wife, Rebecca, are making plans to uh, go to Iceland as missionaries. Uh, we've actually got their support cards on the tables in the, here and in the lobby. Um, if you want to support that work and give financially and give through prayer uh, for the Stanleys as they venture with their little baby Wren, to take the good news to Iceland to make it harder to get to hell from Iceland. Um, you, could, you could do so by supporting them. Um, so it's going to be hard to pray not for you to stay. I love you, buddy. Um, anyway, um, we're in James chapter 5. And uh, one, one other thing real quick um, is we, we had another meeting with our good friends at T.W. Frierson, the, the uh, contracting group that we're going to be working with for our new potential facility here on our one-acre point nine, seven acre lot uh, here at 1423 2nd Avenue North in Nashville to see what might come. Um, we're, we're presenting a multi-floor type of uh, dream center uh, for uh, counseling center, residential stuff, new uh, auditorium and so forth. So be praying about that. Be praying for wisdom. What we mentioned on Vision Sunday, these things are progressing forward and onward just because you don't hear about it all the time. We don't talk about it all the time. doesn't mean that it's not happening. There is progression. And be praying as well at how you might be able to partner financially as it's going to be a team lift uh, to see this happen. Um, but we want to maximize the soil that God has given us in Germantown um, for God's glory, purpose of his church, um, and for the fun and good of Music City as far as our acre can handle. Um, okay, so <clears throat> 16 weeks now that we've spent in this book of James uh, which was written by God through the hand and pen of a fellow named James. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? He wasn't a believer until he saw Jesus killed and back alive again after his resurrection. Then he, couldn't, he could not deny it. He saw the risen Savior, his big brother, and believed. And he believed to the point of him actually being called into the ministry and uh, pastored the first church in Jerusalem. Well, along the way, he wrote this letter. The book of James comes to us, written between like year 40 and 45, but then he was killed. Um, he was martyred right in front of the church building there in downtown Jerusalem around year 62. Um, year 62, James was killed for preaching the gospel of his big brother's kingdom. Um, so this, this man deeply loved people. Uh, he, he pastored faithfully even until his very end. And we've got one more week next week in our study, which... Next week, we're going to be looking about um, how to help others fight the drift um, with the final two verses there in chapter 5. But today, we've got these six verses um, that we're pressing into here. And James is wrapping up his letter. Um, and as he does, he's encouraging in his conclusion to um, be, be patient, to establish your hearts as you wait for the return of Jesus, and to remain steadfast like the Old Testament Job um, he mentions random things in his concluding letter of let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And we looked at that last week, uh, particularly in regards to how we handle things like sarcasm. Um, and rather than pursuing more sarcasm, uh, pursue more honesty with our words. Because with sarcasm, your yes isn't your yes. Your yes is sometimes no. Um, your no is sometimes yes. Um, and so we looked into that um, and found a better way of um, being more vulnerable, being more honest with our words in some ways, even being more humble in the way that we speak, uh, increasing and adding to the intimacy within our friendships, within the church family. You see, as James was writing this as a pastor, he was writing to Christians, not just in Jerusalem, uh, because of 
the heavy Roman occupying force and the army there and their persecution, it's recorded they killed over 2 million uh, Christians in the first century there under the rule, radical rule of Nero. And so as a result of that, they scatter. That's what took James's life, actually, was that very persecution. But they're scattering, and as they're scattering, James is wanting to pastor them. And so that's why we have this very letter in the New Testament, is this very letter was circulated all around the Middle East to these little pockets and villages and, and neighborhoods where Christians happened to land that used to be part of his church in Jerusalem. And so as he's writing, he's wanting to encourage their hearts, but he's also working to help establish a certain culture that is in line with what is to be Christian. Christianity was so new. Christianity was just 15, 20 years old at this point, right? And so he's trying to form, like, this is what Christian community is to look like. Your yes is to be your yes. It's not to be, uh, you're not to be deceptive. Uh, you're, you're to try to establish yourselves and keep your eyes to the Lord. Don't fear Nero. Don't fear the persecution. Don't look around you. Don't compare. You keep your eyes to the skies and you wait for the return of your Lord. Don't lose heart. Be patient and be patient as you're being patient. Wait patiently. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near and he is at the door. So he's trying to form this particular culture and I want us to have this same type of culture where we show up spiritually with one another, but we also learn to show up emotionally with one another in the way that we care for one another with our actions and our words, our reactions, and even in how we learn to be quiet and simply learn to sit with people who are struggling emotionally, who are sad, and not just trying to fix it and distract, but just learning how to show up emotionally in that way to just comfort um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last Sunday's sermon, please do so. We reference things like a grumble gun um, and, 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 and being really judgmental in our, in our, in our bent uh, and trying to fight that drift there. But take time to listen because I do think, much like James's hope, my hope is that that sermon would help speak into and uh, help form a particular type of Christian community here at the Axis as we move forward together into our 12th years of church. So we're in chapter five. He's wrapping up his letter. And what would be typical of, uh, you know, historically uh, Greek writing is, historical Greek writing is that he, at this point, he would uh, call on all the Greek gods, uh, you know, those that he felt closest to, and he would call down on the gods for a blessing and a well-wish upon all those who would be reading the letter. Well, he does something so much better as a Christian. Uh, he, he does something far more better. He reminds the Christians those readers then throughout church history, and even for you today as you read this letter, he's reminding you not of the great wishes and well-beings of the Greek gods, but the provision that God Almighty has for your healing. And that was his wish, is that they will be reminded once more of just how wonderful, powerful, mighty, majestic, and healing the God of all gods truly is. And this isn't a new teaching that he gives them. He's, he's echoing as being a faithful pastor the things that he's mentioned before. He's reminding them, which is what pastoring is. A lot of times it's what parenting is. It's what being a good friend is, a good Christian friend, is reminding others of what is the good standard practice. Like, here's how we're to live as Christians. Um, so here's how he does it. Look in chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Uh, is anyone among you experiencing pain, um, misfortune, uh, come upon some hard times, experiencing hardship? Uh, is anyone among you enduring patiently through distress. I mean, it's tough and you're, you're trying your best to continue onward. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Where do you turn, right? Where do you turn when you experience suffering? You know, enduring some difficult moments or having some sort of uh, emotional distress or hardship or even pain, physically, uh, relationally, financially, emotionally, like where do you turn? What's your reflex in those moments, right? Where do you run? Where, where you run in moments like that says a lot about your Savior, capital S, says a lot about your functional Saviors, lowercase s. But oftentimes, if you're like me, um, we run to the closest thing to us, our phone. Right? We open them up, and we want to see who might need us. And we do so in an effort to feel valuable, to feel worthy, needed, important. It's a distraction, right? We want to see how our stocks are doing or who liked, shared, or commented on something. 
what's trending so I can be in the nose, so I can offer a zinger of a hot take, you know, to be seen as someone who just knows how to be progressive in that way, or what, what porn can I Google search for? Um, what can I go search for on Amazon and buy real quick? What's next? Let me open my calendar, right? When suffering happens, when it, when it gets tough, where do you go? What's the next meal I'm going to be able to eat? What, how can I be distracted? Who can I prepare? Who can I invite over? Like these things, some of these things are wonderful. Some of these things are sin we need to run from, but they're all distractions from doing what James is encouraging us to do. James is saying the Christian's reflex when it gets tough is to pray. When there's suffering, you're to pray. And this is Christianity 101. This isn't just James. It's Peter, James, John, Jesus, the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. It's the Bible. It is this, it, we are to talk to God. This is beautiful. If you're suffering at any level, you're to pray. I'm reminded of Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 where he says, uh, the Lord is at hand, or as James would put it, he's at the door. Right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Do not worry. Do not, the word is overcare with a hyphen. Do not overcare. It's like, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication. You probably haven't used that word this week, probably not this morning. I have a supplication. Um, it's like, you don't do that. But what that is, is just, it's just an ask. Just if you need something, it's a favor. So with prayer and with supplication, the posture is with thanksgiving, not grumbling, like we looked at last week. Let your requests be made known to God and get this. When you do this, when your reflex is prayer, the peace of God, which currently passes what you're capable of understanding, it'll change your perspective. It'll actually guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's two different things. It'll guard your hearts. It brings stability to the moment and it'll guard your mind. It gives you poise for the future. It addresses what's happening and it brings comfort and poise for what will happen. It helps ground you, settle you, and help move you forward. The peace of God will help guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But it's easy to outsource our suffering by going to distraction instead of to the Lord in prayer. It's easy to outsource our suffering by tossing it on to somebody else rather than doing the hard work and the soul work of becoming more vulnerable, showing up spiritually and emotionally, bending your heart in humility, and actually praying praying through it. It's easy to push this off on someone else. It's easy to, 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 to throw it out on Facebook so that we can gain sympathy from other people, and that feels like it provides a salve to our heart instead of doing what James says and simply praying and taking it to him in prayer. Now, of course, we're to lean heavily on church community. Of course, we're, man, yes, it's a benefit of the Christian community is to pray with one another, as we're going to see in just a moment. But James is saying, your first reaction, your first reflex, teach yourself this. Let it be to pray. Don't grumble your way through it. Don't outsource it. You first pray. Notice that James didn't say, is any among you suffering? Let him make it known to the church. Right? Again, that's wonderful. That's a benefit of the Christian community. But that's not supposed to be your first, first mode of, of, of operation moving forward. You're to give it to God. You're to entrust that concern, that burden, that suffering to the Lord and seek his face. Look into his word. Give that burden to God personally, like personally, cognitively, spiritually, mentally, with your heart. Give it over to him. Give it over to him. Give it to him in prayer and trust him with it. Let him be the one that's concerned with how things are going to come out, right? And then he continues, that's how we're to pray through suffering. And then he says, look in the text, he says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone encouraged? Is anyone currently experiencing just this fervor, man, just this courage, man, just really just happy? Is anyone cheerful? Let him break out in song. Let him sing. Let him sing praise. Are you discouraged? Pray. Is anyone, are you discouraged? Pray. If you're encouraged, sing. Again, he Look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you're happy, then just be happy that you're happy and move onward. He doesn't say, share it with others directly and necessarily. But what he does say is, if you're encouraged, sing and be joyful toward the Lord for him extending grace to you in this way. It's acknowledging the one who's made your courage and joy possible, the one who's, who's been favorable to you in this way, right? 
And this will encourage others along the way. Again, James writing this, he's producing a culture. Imagine all the stuff that James doesn't write in his letter, and yet he finds this to be so essential, like so essential. Like I, there's so much I want to say as a pastor. There's so much I can, I'm going to write so much. It's got to go around all the Middle East. And he chooses these words because he's establishing a certain culture. Imagine the culture that's created when, when, when it's tough, we pray. And when things are great, we sing. Think of the vulnerability that it takes in that certain culture for those two realities to be present in our practice as Christians. When we're, when we're down, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we're suffering, we pray. And we can share in that prayer together, as we'll see in a moment. And, and, and when we're up and we're encouraged and we're content and happy, we sing. And we can share in song together. Make your prayer reflex contagious and make your song reflex contagious. But know that both praying and singing both require a certain amount of vulnerability and humility and faith. And both work, going back to, I think, verse 7, um, being established. No, it wasn't verse 7. But being established together. Both help set perspective. You see, to pray in the midst of suffering is to believe that God cares and he can handle it, right? That sets perspective. And also to sing is to believe that God is the only one who deserves the credit, right? This is the way that we're to live. And then he adds a third category. Look at verse 14. He addresses those who are sick. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you weak? Let him invite, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there's some implications. And what's implied here is that if you're suffering in this sickness, you've already been praying a lot over this yourself. And you're not merely trying to outsource this, but you, by faith, have been praying for you and, and your sickness, your situation. And what's also implied here is that you have submitted yourself to the local church and its leadership. They know you and you know them. And if you haven't done this, I encourage you to do this. Become an Access Ministry partner, an AMP is what we call it. But it's what we call our members, our church members. Uh, become one, one, one here with us so that you have elders who you can call on like this. What's an implication here is that that's important, even when you are suffering in some way, to belong to a church family. Are you sick? James asks, then have the elders pray over you. And this is something that happens here at the Axis. It happens more frequently maybe than what you might know. But just two weeks ago, the elders uh, entered the home of one of our partners here at the Axis. And, and we spent time together confessing sin with one another, literally laying our hands on them, anointing them with olive oil and calling out to God for mercy, for strength, for healing, for physical repair. And then again, two weeks ago, a ministry partner of our church reached out on behalf of a friend who isn't a part of a church family. And they sent me this text, and it read like this. I wanted to give it to you exactly. It says, this is a random question, but do we have anyone at Access who's gifted with healing? Or, Jeremy, what's your thoughts on that? I have a friend who's asking about someone who is specifically gifted with that spiritual gift of healing. What are your thoughts? And my reply was literally copied and pasted from the ESV app on my phone, James 5, 13 through 15. It's like, this is, here's my thoughts on that. Right? It says do this and do it this way. It doesn't say you have to know how it all works. It just says do this. So we do it this way. And it's a privilege. It's, it's a wonderful privilege to pray for others. Um, and think about what a beautiful culture it creates. Right? When, when you're experiencing this suffering, to have the humility and the vulnerability necessary to say, hey, would you guys mind praying for me? Well, is that a big need? Right? That's what the enemy tells us, right? It's like, that's not a big enough deal to bring the elders. Man, if you're suffering, call for the elders. What have you got to lose? Potential healing, some pride, a wonderful opportunity for us to, by faith, intercede for you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Actually, I've asked Pastor Derek to come back up um, and let's share. I want to ask him a couple questions because um, we've done this on, on a few occasions together. And uh, we'll kind of interrupt the sermon, if that's okay, uh, for a couple questions in a new segment called A Couple Questions with Pastor Derek. Um, so, the rehearsal was great on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we quickly reviewed it during the 9 o'clock service when we did it live. 
Um, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Okay. Um, so um, this, this is a, it's a unique dynamic when this sort of thing actually is carried out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've got a couple questions from your perspective um, in regards to this. What goes through your mind when someone of our church family gets word to us that they want something like this to happen? What goes through your mind? Yeah, I think the, the first thing um, is that this is it's serious. This is important. Um, like you said, it, it's likely they've already been praying about this. They've probably been to the doctor. There's something going on. It's a heavy thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so my first, my first thought is it draws me to that person's situation. I probably didn't know all the details about that. And now I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about where they are. Um, and their family, those caring for them. And um, so the first, the first thing is it's weighty. Mm. Mm. And then what do you typically bring with you? I, you know, we've done this. We've prayed over someone's home before, uh, room by room. They moved into a home. They discovered some pretty horrific history um, after they moved in. And a little they, creepy. Yeah. And they asked us to come pray, and we prayed over each room in a certain way a different prayer per room based on what was happening in those rooms. Um, and then we together prayed over someone in our church family just a couple weeks ago. And I've noticed that each time you have stuff with you. And we don't rehearse over these things. Part of that is the just, I don't know, kind of embracing the, the spirit-led nature of what's being right. asked here. Is this right. not like a system or a policy? Right. Um, but we try to handle it as open-handed yet mm -hmm. according to James as we can. Uh, but I do notice that each time that that you're resourced with things. Sure. What, what is that? And, and part, I think part of that goes to what I observe in the scriptures that, you know, Jesus never healed the blind man the same way twice. Mm. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a certain, there's a process that James kind of prescribes, but um, the Holy Spirit blows as he wills. And so I want to get in that stream and I'm grateful for that. That's our model here to let, to let the Lord do his work. But um, as with as with any prayer, um, I have as you, if you've been into any of my stuff, um, I have tools, and uh, and so for me, I always try to come either with a book of common prayer or um, get a book like this that mm -hmm. just has some um, contextual. It helps me orient my mind and go mm -hmm. to where I, I need to go with that, and then we'll have some oil handy. I don't think there's anything special, although I did get it at Lifeway before they closed. That's special. Yeah. Commemorative edition. Um, and, um, and you, you know, even when we did that house prayer, um, you had a prayer guide for mm -hmm. us. And even then, having the children pray certain prayers over certain rooms, and we pray over certain rooms, the parents each prayed over certain right. rooms, and the foyer and the welcoming and all that, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, just your preparation, not knowing if we would use those things. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't like this, we didn't discuss it much. Right. <laughs> um, but just being available and trying to yeah. think through those possibilities. Yeah. Um, and then during these moments, I've also noticed something about uh, you and, and you know, like we follow each other back and forth in these moments. But I've noticed how you uh, you ask things of them. Mm. You ask something of of each situation and person. So what what is it that you ask them? Yeah, I I want to know. Um, kind of where they are. So I'm, I'm not as interested in all of the particulars uh, necessarily around, you know, what's the, what's the latest and how long has it been bleeding and those kind of yeah. things. I'm not, but it's more, um, more where are they spiritually? And, um, and that will inevitably lead to a moment of shared confession. What is it that you need to, is there an unconfessed sin in your life that comes top of mind? And again, I'm not, as, I, as we did this morning, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know how I'm offending God in any moment. But the Holy Spirit's really good about in those moments pricking us. Mm. This, I want you to think about this, or I want you to confess this. And even the other day, yeah. um, it was, I think it was kind of, a, he was processing through it, and then it started to flow. Yeah. And then we could then respond with our confession. Yeah. And then that humility that that invites is what is essential 
in this because it's where God's grace comes. Right? He, gives, he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace to the humble. And that's, yeah. that's the antidote. And he, yeah, that, that's drawn to your need. It's not right. drawn to your strength. Right. You know, um, it's beautiful. It well, makes us more man. honest. And yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Derek. Thank, thank, you, thank you for sharing those quick, quick words. Um, thank you all for the commercial interruption of our first segment of asking questions with Pastor Derek. Um, Now, attached to this praying over, uh, with the elders praying over, he says this, look at the promise that the Lord gives us through Pastor James in verse 15. The prayer of faith, the prayer of confident trust, uh, believing that it's that he's able and reliable, right? The prayer of faith will save, it will deliver and heal and cure the one who is sick, the one who's weary, exhausted, uh, fatigued, and the Lord will restore to health. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, Now, recently, as I prayed over a friend, they said something to the effect of, now, I don't this is what this person said as I was praying over them. Now, I don't necessarily expect that God's going to heal me through this prayer. If he does, that's fine. But if he doesn't, that's fine. I'm going to trust him regardless. And that is beautiful, right? I, I get exactly what that person meant, and I agree on one hand. But then I said, I ask that you not pray with that thought because I'm not praying that way. When I pray for someone, part of my praying as I pray over someone, is as I'm praying for them, I'm praying and searching my heart and asking God to to give me a more pure faith in the very words that I'm praying by faith that I would believe that God has the power and ability to perform instantly a fantastic miracle of healing right then. Because I can say, God, I ask that you heal this person, but I can doubt that God can do that and actually heal that person. And so I'm praying for, for, for strength of faith, that my faith will be full, that my faith will be strong with no doubts whatsoever. As I'm praying a prayer of faith, I'm praying for faith. Like James said in 1 verse 6, he said, let him ask in faith with no doubting. James 1 6. So continuing in on what this looks like and what a high priority for us as we pray, is this. James says, therefore, admit and acknowledge, or therefore, confess, in verse 16, confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you may be made well, that you may be healed. And the ask, the plea, the the prayer of a just and righteous person has great power in its working. Um, it's, It's very capable it's, it's got great power. It's got much strength. It is able. Uh, the, the prayer of a righteous and just person has great power in its working. No elder is needed for this prayer, right? He says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another. And because kind of when you look at it, like every Christian is sort of like a priest in a way, meaning they can at any moment make intercession and call out to God, in their time of need, or for anybody else's need. There's, there is significant value in confessing our sin out loud and receiving from another Christian the assurance that we've been forgiven. It's like what we did corporately just before I preached. We were led to confess our sins, and then Pastor Derek offered an assurance of pardon. Right? This is how we are to handle ourselves as we pray, confessing our sins one to another. You know, it might be that the reader, one of the readers of Pastor James's letter might think, well, that's fine, like for the elders, but I'm just like a normal Christian. Like I'm just an ordinary Christian. How can I pray for someone's healing? Do I, like, I don't, I'm not the Pope. Like, what do I do here? Right? Like, how can I hear their confessions and pray for them? Well, you see, Paul or James says that as Christians, we are righteous, and so our prayers are powerful and effective because of what Christ has done for us, earning that right to speak to God in our time of need. Well, then James refers to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. He, he was an ordinary man, 
but like all Christians, he had an extraordinary God who, who heard prayer and answered prayer. Look at this. He closes this up in 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. I know he's varsity in your hearts, right? That's how he was writing to these Jews. Like Elijah was like way up here, you know, like super duper prophet, right? And he's like, I know, you know, Elijah with a man with a nature just like ours. Now in this culture, reading this letter for the first time in year 42, 43 AD, to hear this, you'd be like, whoa, Elijah, just like us. I don't know, man. I think that might be heretical right? Because they esteemed him so much. And he's like, look, guys, you're Christians. We're all, this, we're all children of God in this way. If we're Christians, we all have the rights and privileges as Jesus, let alone Elisha, as the Messiah, let alone a flawed prophet. I mean, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, a sinful nature. He messed up. He doubted. He was a man just like us. But he prayed, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again that it would rain, and it rained, and the earth bore its fruit. You too pray, is what he's saying. You too call out. He hears your prayer too. Your prayer changes things, just like Elijah's did. And so Pastor James, is, he's pastoring us well, saying, confess your sins, pray for one another, and believe that your team-lifting prayer can be heard by God and that God has the power and ability and interest to heal and to change. I mean, that's a radical promise, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So how does this work? How does prayer work? I don't know. But we do it believing, because the Bible says to do it believing. What happens when prayer seems to work in our favor? I don't know, but be careful taking any glory and credit from it. You sing praises when that happens, praises to God. You don't take credit. Now, what happens when prayer doesn't work? I don't know, but you're to continue praying steadfastly. Steadfastly through praying, steadfastly through suffering. You continue to pray for healing and health and faith. Do not grow weary in well-doing and remain steadfast in your prayer. This is to be our reflex. James is telling us our reflex is to be to pray. Now, this, not, this isn't only what helps establish our hearts more and more as we wait for the return of Jesus when there'll be no need for more prayer. All things will be perfectly restored, redeemed, and made new. All right? So this helps establish our hearts as we wait for the return of the Lord, but it also creates a stabilizing poise in our lives as we endure this life, knowing that we can call on him. You see, in a way, all prayer is answered. And I heard this growing up that God always answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and are you serious? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, just see if you were with me. Um, yes, no, or wait. When God says no to our prayers, we think he didn't answer them. No, he did. No's an answer. And if you had a mama like mine, you'd be reminded of that often. <laughs> and sometimes God tells us to wait. Because God has his timing, and he's brilliant. He knows all things. And, and he always knows to do what is best from his perfect knowledge, what's best. When we think what's best, we don't have perfect knowledge, and so our best is not really what's best. We think it's best, but we're so limited and flawed. But he does all things according to what's best. And so we believe this by faith, that when it doesn't make sense, we still trust him because he knows it all. And in his mind, it makes perfect sense. And that is the greatest capital T truth about reality as we endure suffering even, that this is what is best. And of course, sometimes God says, yes. And there's a lot of thought that we think through, like when we pray, like why does God not answer my prayer? And what we mean by that is, why doesn't he answer prayer my way, right? Because he does answer prayer like we just said. It's like, why does he seem to respond favorably, good caveat, why does he respond favorably to me sometimes and sometimes not? Why does he respond favorably to Darius's prayers and not mine? It seems like, like he's got a direct private line and I'm just trying to scream my head off at God. And it's like he doesn't hear me, but he hears him all the time. What's the difference? There could be no difference in the eyes of the Lord, but there could be a difference. And I want to give you four different possibilities as to why there's not a yes 
to your desires. And we're going to jump into these four just briefly, and then we're going to press in towards communion together as the family of God. Four possibilities. One, and I'm going to go through these in just a minute, but I'm going to give them to you up front. One, you're not a Christian. Four possibilities as to why there's not a yes to your desires and prayers. One, you're not a Christian. You're not made righteous by Jesus. And so I'm here to tell you, you've got to believe Jesus. You need to humble yourself, seek forgiveness from him, and trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved and develop that beautiful friendship with God, that relationship with God. Two, you've got undealt with sin. Uh, You're you're living in sin. You're living in uh, some sort of unrighteousness. And he tells us here to confess that sin, move on. Or three, you're selfish. You're praying with wrong motives. Four, you need to forgive. And instead, you're holding animosity and hatred in your heart. Well, to start with, the promise of answered prayer here, um, it's not given to everyone. This, the promise of answered prayer is only given to Christians. You've, you've got to have a relationship with God. You, you must have the righteousness of Christ applied to your life by the grace of God alone, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is a fact that anyone can call out to God in the name of the Lord and be saved. But having a prayer life, having a a, a fellowship and a a communion with God, camaraderie with him, this is a privilege that's only reserved for the child of God. And we're made children of God through faith in the Son of God and his work for us as us, faith in his finished work, through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, right? Right? his miraculous life-giving resurrection and his glorious ascension. Faith in all of this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Of a righteous person. A person is only made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. It's nothing you do. It's only faith in what he has done. This is what makes you righteous. Nothing else. And so through faith in Jesus, we're adopted into the family of God. So now, much like a kid to a parent, we can cry out at any time in our time of need, singing songs of praise in our time of cheer at any point because there's a relationship. Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, even that right there acknowledges that he knew when the right timing was. When the timing was right, In the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son Jesus, who was born of a virgin Mary, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, as children, sons and daughters. And because you're children of God, God has sent his spirit of his son Jesus into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, right? You're made his kid. You can call out to him when the thunder is, is crashing, when you're hungry, when you're needy, when you hurt your knee. You call out to your Abba Father, your daddy. You call out to, to God now because there's a relationship. For uh, Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as children of God, as sons by whom we get to cry, Abba, Father, which is a familiar way of calling out Daddy. It's, it's child language for Father. In Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne. It used to be a throne of judgment. But because of Christ's work, it's been transformed into a throne of grace. So let us then with confidence, you don't need to be timid in prayer. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls out on the name of the Lord will be saved. So anyone can pray calling out to God for salvation, for him to forgive us of our sins and by faith believe in his work. But that's the first prayer that he hears from you. I can't can't call out to God if there's no relationship with him. That's a privilege, a right of friendship that you have with him. If my phone rings and I'm in a meeting with anybody, if it's my wife, I answer it. Because there's there's a friendship there. There's a relationship there that, that beckons me to that phone call, right? And if I see it spam, I'm like, oh, great, who is this? Hello? 
you know? Oh, insurance policy. Okay, yeah. Right? But in the same way, God answers our calls and hears our prayers because of relationship provided through Jesus. We have a relationship with him. We get to call on him. He's going to hear us. He always hears us. And for the child of God, he knows how to interpret our groans and our moans when it really hurts. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. And when we don't have it all together and we don't really know how to like sort through our prayer, the spirit comes alongside of us and prays perfectly for us. Look at this in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us, prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the perfect will of God. Well, another, another potential reason that our prayers aren't answered is it's not just that we're not a Christian, but for those Christians, we might have unconfessed sin in our lives. Isaiah 59, 2, your sins and iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face so he does not hear. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished clung to, held on to sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. For the Christian, if you're practicing sin, it will affect your prayer life. If you're living in sin, it, it will slow down your prayer life. It won't be your reflex. It's not that God is not interested. It's, that it's just simply not your way of thinking anymore. You've drifted to going to other places than to prayer. We all sin, and we sin a lot more than what we think we do. But there's a difference between a Christian who is sinning and a Christian who is willfully, habitually, strategically sinning without remorse, without any plans of stopping or slowing down, without any regard to the things of God. According to the Bible, a mark of a true Christian is that they're miserable when they're living in sin, that they're just so unsettled, unhappy, they're miserable. And if you can continue sinning and even making plans to, to sin more, you've got no remorse, no guilt of conscience. That would indicate, I believe, through biblical good doctrine, that you're probably not a Christian. And so you should come to the Lord in forgiveness of your sins and trust in him alone and be made alive to the things that are him, and the things that are of him. 1 John 3, 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And this is New Testament doctrine, by the way. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Unconfessed sin absolutely hinders our prayers. So confess, pursue righteousness, and pray. The third thing, selfishness can hinder our prayers as well. You see, it's, it's possible for us to pray for the right thing in the wrong way. For example, you know, you might pray like, Lord, I want you to use me. Um, I want to be used by you. Um, I want to speak up and speak out for you. Right? That's a beautiful thing. But why is it that you're praying that? It, could it be that it's because you want to be noticed? You want to have applause. You want to be seen. You want um, to be seen as that hot take, witty type of guy that knows how to call it out, right? Or maybe you want more followers on social media, or you, just, you want respect from a certain subculture of Christians. Those aren't proper motives to become that Christian spokesman, if that's what God's called you to be. Sometimes selfishness can hinder our prayers. So we want to pray. We must be praying with the right motives. And Jesus addressed the Pharisees, the religious rulers, about their poor motives and selfish agendas. Think about this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they can be seen by others. That's their motive. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, be known more for how you, you pray in your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. 
And when you pray, don't feel like you've got to heap up big phrases, like huge, like awesome theological terms as the Gentiles do, for, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words, by their big words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. But pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would you give us this day our, our daily bread? And would you forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray for a purity of motives as you pray for things. For God to align your desires with his, changing your desires to be like his, keeping you in step with him, what pleases him. And then finally, unforgiveness can hinder our prayers. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, he said, whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, uh, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Is there anyone that you're bitter towards this morning? Is there, is there somebody in your life right now that you've got an angst, there's some animosity, there's some resentment, some bitterness? Maybe you even go so far as to sit around thinking of what might happen to them and how good it would feel if that actually happened to them, if they got what was coming to them, ways of getting even. If you've got that sort of attitude some, towards somebody, that will hinder your prayer life. And true, they may have done something terrible to you. And for what it means for me, for what it, like, I'm sorry that it's that way. But understand that forgiving somebody isn't just for their sake. It's for your sake too. And I heard it said that when you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. Yourself. You're only being held captive by that unforgiving spirit. Unforgiveness is hurting you. And it's hurting your relationship with God. So are you suffering? Pray. Things going well? You live in the blessed life, then praise God. Do you need healing from the Lord? Pray. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Ask the elders to pray for you. If you don't have elders, get elders. All right. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And if there's a wedge between you and God, a separation because of unconfessed sin, unforgiveness, something else, man, surrender that. You're not communing with the Lord. You're not having that, that significant um, dynamic relationship with him that you could be experiencing. I mean, we've all got burdens. We've all got concerns. We've all, all got things that we're praying over. So as all these things go on, man, surrender these things to the Lord. Seek him first. And all these other things will take care of themselves. If you're not a Christian, be a Christian. Become one today. If you've got undealt with sin, confess and repent of that sin. If you're selfish, ask for your purity of heart and pure motives. And if you need to forgive, seek out forgiveness. And when it comes to prayer, no matter what, no matter, no matter if it's a yes, no, or wait, you trust, you believe, and you have faith. You be steadfast. Trust that God is aware, that he's tuned in, that he's listening, that he's not distant and removed, but he's listening. And you believe that God is able to save. You believe that God is able to change. You believe that God is able to deliver. And the only reason why he's not going to answer favorably in the big picture is because he knows better. He's brilliant. And he operates things according to his perfect sovereign plan. And then have faith that he knows what's best and he loves you to the fullest, no matter what happens. You know, in Luke 18, uh, Jesus was, he, he started out that chapter by, by addressing, he, 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 he was teaching the disciples about the praying of uh, the persistent widow. And it started out this way. He said that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart that they ought always to pray and be steadfast. And then he goes into talking about that persistent widow. And that particular parable is designed to teach the importance of continuing through prayer. prayer, To be gritty with your prayer. To be persistent with your prayer. To not tap out, but continue praying. God desires that we be steadfast in our prayers. Continue onward. Please continue onward. Look back to the pages of Scripture. Let this be a call back to prayer, back into Christian community, back into a more free way of living instead of harboring this animosity, seeking forgiveness, right? Let's follow the Lord back to the word and asking him examine our hearts and lead us back into that sweet, sweet friendship that we have with the Lord. That is where your happiness is, is walking in and confessing your sin, freely forgiving others, turning to him at all times.
Jesus, I'll close with this. Jesus in Mark eleven twenty said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus said that. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand, pray, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So as we approach the Lord's table together this morning for the Lord's Supper, the Lord's uh, communion meal, let's do so, all right, with our eyes looking within as we're humbly confessing our sins one to another and to the Lord walking in confession and repentance. But let's lift our eyes from that as we approach the table. Let's lift our eyes from within to Jesus and the cross and let's call out to him for prayer. So as we come and take the body and blood of Jesus Christ this morning, let's be chiefly focused on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's ours through faith in him. We've got juice and we've got wine. We've got bread that you can take and dip. We've also got prepared uh, communion cups with the wafer on top that you peel those. Uh, we've got two stations here and here. We've also got a station back there. And there's some communion cups on the table at the back of the room. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So Christian, I invite you to come and take when you're ready, remembering the finished work of Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this precious time of remembering of communion here together. And may he remain with us always. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You're listening to a sermon from the Access Church as we seek to gain godly stability through the book of James.